the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Hey, y'all. I'm Bud Elliott, and this is Cover 3 College Football Summer School. We've done our research on the teams, and now we're bringing on the top team experts from the 24-7 Sports Network to help us fill in the blanks. Please follow us on Twitter at Cover3Podcast. That's Cover3Podcast. And leave us a five-star review on Apple and Spotify. All right. Class is in session. Hey guys, I'm Bud Elliott. Welcome back into the Cover 3 College Ball Podcast. This is our summer school edition, and today we're going to talk a little LSU, a school near and dear to my heart. Obviously, my, my wife went there and uh, you know go to probably at least one LSU game a year. To help us do this, we're going to go to go 24-7's Matt Bruni. Matt, what's going on, dude? Hey, man. I'm doing, doing well. I didn't know uh, your wife went to LSU, but that's... Uh... Good information there. She did. And so like anytime we go to go to crawfish boil or, or barbecue, you know, it's hey, what what uh what are you thinking? I'm like I right, gotta gotta text Matt, gotta text Shay and and see mm-hmm. what the uh what the details are. They need to get a subscription to go twenty four seven and uh and, and check it out for that great VIP content you guys put over there and the go twenty four seven podcast. Yeah, I mean this is as you know, this was my first year here, so it was a uh big uh adjustment experience going from North Texas to LSU, but it's been a I mean, awesome first year, so I've enjoyed it. That is drinking out of a fire hose for sure. Uh, so <laughs> yes. Brian Kelly comes in to replace Ed Orgeron and uh, just a really proven, solid head coach. Uh, we were I know we were looking around, Tom Fernelli and myself, uh, on cover three that one night. I think Chip might have been on there too. What about Brian Kelly? Like if, if the AD at LSU wants to go big game hunting, that's kind of one of the one of the names uh, remaining if they're not going to get Jimbo and, and – uh, they damn sure did. I, I I didn't really call it. I was just kind of throwing it out there, like, hey, what what about him? Yeah. And uh, what what's been the reaction to LSU fans now that the whole dancing and you know family uh, thing has has calmed down a little bit? I mean, even during that time, they weren't uh, they didn't throw him in the fire because of it. You know, it's it's kind of like it became that whole thing that you heard on you know every single podcast. I'm sure I think y'all talked about it as well. But uh, it's like if they, if he wins, it doesn't matter. You know, that's the whole thing, and that's. The big thing with LSU fans is figuring out how to win because even Ed Orgeron, their own, you know, brother, their their Louisiana uh, family, uh, ended up losing, and it was they were quick to turn on him. So it, it becomes a whole process of can you win? Can you recruit? And I think Brian Kelly, I mean, he's obviously he's obviously done that at Notre Dame, Cincinnati, wherever he's been. So. I think there's a lot of trust and I think there's a belief. And I think throughout this spring in being able to talk to players, talk to coaches, um, the biggest word has been accountability to this point. And that's kind of been the biggest difference from players is what they've said, at least is this. I mean, Brian Kelly and this coaching staff will hold you accountable at all times in everything you do. And so that's kind of been uh, the adjustment so far. Awesome. All right. So let's, Let's go and start on the offensive side of the ball here. There is quite a bit of turnover 
uh, at, in, in some you know, some of these positional units. Uh, they bring in coordinator Mike Dembrock uh, from Cincinnati. What uh, what do you expect him to run? Is there anything really like like drastically different from what LSU was running in terms of scheme or pace? Um, I, I would I would say so. Just off of what we saw in spring practice. Uh, we, we know Denbrock and Kelly have utilized tight ends a little bit more in their offenses, Notre Dame and Cincinnati. And, you know, if you go down, down the list of where they've been, but LSU doesn't really have tight end depth right now. So it's made it a really interesting proposition to where you have basically two tight ends that LSU does. And one was a walk on uh, who now has a scholarship in Jack Mashburn. And then Cole Taylor is your other one. And then they're bringing in a freshman tight end and, you know, you don't expect him to, to really be a contributor. So, it's how are they going to utilize the offense without maybe having that go-to tight end or even a you know quality tight end. I know Cole Taylor's made strides, but that's the biggest thing for me. So you might see a little bit more four receiver sets than they've ran in the past because there's so much wide receiver talent. And that's exciting to people because we did see that in the spring game, but there have been tight formations. There have been uh, motions. I think it was a very um, basic scheme that we saw in, in the spring game. So I'm not putting too much into that, but what made it interesting as well was the addition of Jaden Daniels. And so do they want to go a little bit more mobile? Are they comfortable with Brennan? And so I think the overall scheme is still getting processed at the moment, but it's definitely different than what we saw last year. I, at that quarterback position, I'm just fascinated as to how this battle shakes out. Uh, people had wildly different opinions on, on Jaden Daniels, uh, both as a recruit and then also based on you know what he did at Arizona State, Miles Brennan uh, comes back, and uh, Nussmeyer is still there as well. So, it, yeah, is there somebody in your mind that you would pick over the other two right now, as far as who you think wins this this uh, this job? It's it's so tough. I mean, you mentioned Daniels, the the crazy just amount of uncertainty that I feel like Daniels has coming out of spring uh, amongst LSU fans. So we ran a poll. I, ran a poll and it got about 500 votes on our on our board about who the fans you know obviously people on our message board who pay attention to LSU sports who they thought would be the starter for week one against Florida State 77 percent of the votes went to Miles Brennan and I don't and eight percent the lowest amount went to Jaden Daniels I think 17 percent something like that was at Garrett Nussmeyer and so I think there's a lot of trust in Miles Brennan at this point and Chip and uh, Brian Kelly uh, has talked about Miles Brennan's experience and what and his ability to deliver throws on time on target. So when you hear all that and you see Miles Brennan returning for a sixth season or whatever it is, you expect him to kind of get the starting job. Jaden Daniels is a completely different player, and that's what makes it so difficult for me to project because if Mike Denbrock wants a mobile quarterback, there's not really a choice here. It's it's Jay it's Jay. Jaden Daniels. So that's what I'm interested in. Garrett Nussmeyer also had a really, really good spring game. He was the best. He had the best spring game. Uh, he has a live arm. I'm really high on Garrett Nussmeyer. And that's what makes it such an interesting competition. I will say I think Miles Brennan's in, in the lead probably at this moment. Awesome. Um, am I wrong to think that Davis Price is sort of an underrated loss for LSU? I, I Looking at how they thought their run blocking last year was kind of sketchy and yet he made the most situations just statistically but you, you watch more LSU games than I'm able to certainly oh no it, it was definitely sketchy early in the year I mean the first half of the year it was it was awful they they couldn't figure out their RPO scheme they couldn't figure out run blocking that was like the talk of every single week was 
how are you going to figure out the run schemes? And they just really couldn't until maybe the second half of the year. I'd say that Alabama game and the, the game before the Alabama game, I'm not remembering. Oh, well, the Florida game that I have right there on the newspaper. The Florida game where Titus Price ran for like 300 yards, uh, that was big. as uh, That was kind of a breakthrough moment. So, yeah, they figured it out. And I think Ty Davis Price, I mean, he went in the third round of the NFL draft, which I think is higher than most people thought. But he has that talent. Now replacing him, you look at John Emery, you look at Armani Goodwin, Corey Kiner, who got the second most amount of carries, transferred out last year. And then, you know, you, they add Noah Kane, Penn State transfer, and Trey Bradford, uh, well, who was here last year, but uh, joined the team about halfway through the year. So I think they have the bodies, but I think it's going to come more, more down to the offensive line than it is to uh, the running backs. But John Emery was a former five-star as well. Yeah, John Emery definitely has you know quite a bit of ability if you can put that all together and stay healthy. Uh, you did mention the offensive line. Let's let's go there then, Matt. Uh, so they they lose their top four players by snap count, uh, but they bring in um, you know Frazier. They they bring in Tremont Shorts, you know, two two guys from the transfer portal. What what are you expecting here from this group? I I expect continuity. I, I mean, I, I I'm excited because you mentioned Tremont Shorts, uh, who's gotten a lot of reps at starting guard position. Miles Frazier has bounced around from tackle to guard. They trust him a lot. But Will Campbell, true freshman, five-star, has gotten a lot of reps at starting left tackle. And we haven't seen uh, Garrett Dellinger and Mark and um, uh, Marlon Martinez, two offensive linemen that were out for the spring that I think could compete for starting jobs. So that changes things. But Will Campbell getting offense, getting starting left tackle reps was not something I completely expected to this point. But he's looked just amazing. He is He's a beast. He's... And so if they if he can take that left tackle position, that kind of makes life a lot easier. You've been able to see them move things around. Um, I do have concerns about Charles Turner at, at center just because he's kind of an unknown at this point. But, you know, Tremont Shorts, Miles Frazier, Cam Wire coming back at right tackle. He's the one returner of the five that, that you talked about. So um, I feel good about their depth and I feel good about what they've done there, mostly because of those additions of Frazier and Shorts and Campbell. You, you mentioned them having to potentially use more uh, more four receiver sets that, than they'd like to. If you have to use four receiver sets, though, it does help to have a pretty damn talented receiver room. And I, I feel like, uh, uh, I mean, I, obviously I'm a recruiting guy. I'm going down this list. There's a lot of names that, that recruiting people are, are going to recognize here. And almost everybody of consequence is back for this group. Yeah, the uh, obviously Keishon Boutte is the, the biggest name here. And if you – get him and you get him clicking, you get him for a full season that changes just everything about this offense. So you start with him. Um, Malik neighbors has been one of my favorite receivers to watch uh, out of spring camp He catches everything. He has great catch radius um, and he makes plays. And then Jack Besh is kind of the other slot. You expect to get a ton of snap snaps, a ton of catches. Um, he had plenty of big plays last year. Brian Thomas, Kyron Lacey transferred from a UL Chris Hilton, Dre Jenkins, and um, yeah, so you put that all together. It's a really exciting wide receiver room. I mentioned the tight end room not being as exciting, but the receiver room is going to make up for that, um, at least from a receiving standpoint, um, in bunches. Let's go ahead and go to the other side of the ball. Uh, they, they did hire Matt House, the coordinator, right, mm -hmm. for D.C.? Yep. Matt House. Um, I, I thought that was a really pretty inspired hire. Uh, I think I'm just – person a little bit higher on him than I am on, on Denbrock, not to say Denbrock can't or won't do a, a good job. Obviously, Cincinnati just went to the playoff. So, you know, um, yeah. 
up front, though, one of the main issues LSU had to fix, in my opinion, was was their run defense. Uh, last year at times they just were you know getting gashed on it. I thought that was sort of a continuation, surprisingly so, from 2020. But it's hard to take a whole lot from a 2020 COVID year. Um, sure. They lose Neil Farrell and Glenn Logan, correct? Both those guys yes. are are gone. Um, Farrell went in the third round, um, and Logan signed at a undrafted free agent. But I feel like there's some talent here. I mean, Jaquela Roy is not bad. And Mason Smith, obviously, if he takes a leap in year two, is is there a chance they don't downgrade here or maybe even upgrade? I think they're going to be really good. Like the defensive line is going to be – the defensive line and and receiver are going to be the best two units on this team. Uh, The defensive line, Ollie Gay was going to be an NFL draft pick before he got injured halfway through the year. And I think uh, Jaquela Roy is going to be – drafted round i mean i've seen a lot of mocks with him round one and i would probably say round two or three to be safe but i mean if jaquelin roy ends up playing to that potential that's huge mason smith in my opinion is the most exciting player on this on this team he was a former five star uh just he's an absolute monster on the offense on the defensive line and then uh, bj ojalari is a lot of in in a lot of mock drafts in first round next year as well so you put that together, uh, that, this is by far, to me, the most exciting unit on the team, the, this this four uh, uh, group. And you could argue it's, it's a 4-2-5 or a 3-3-5, however you want to you know, or say whatever you want to say it is. B.J. Ojolari at kind of a jack position, kind of like Josh Allen played at Kentucky. And that's really exciting to me because I think B.J. Ojolari has that versatility and also is just a tremendous pass rusher. Um, I'm not saying he's going to be Josh Allen from Kentucky, but uh, he can definitely play that role to a degree, and I think that's what Matt House kind of brings. So the defensive line is is something I'm excited to see. Certainly not crazy to think his upside is comparable to Josh Allen. Whether he hits it is another story, but I, I, yeah, I like that comp, um, especially with, with, with the scheme fit. Mm-hmm. Lacker should be very good, I would think. Almost yeah, everybody's back. Yeah, uh, well, they uh, besides Damone Clark, uh, right. yeah, they they bring everybody back. But Micah Baskerville was the other starter last year. He's been kind of in and out of the doghouse, I guess. He didn't get a ton of reps during the spring, so we're not really sure where he is at the moment. Uh, the two linebackers that have been getting the most reps in, like I said, if you want to call it a 4-2-5, 3-3-5, the two inside linebackers uh, might have been Mike Jones, transferred from Clemson two years ago, or before last year. He Last year he – seldomly played um then played outside linebacker a bit when they went to a scheme change and then greg penn who's a sophomore and he's impressed a lot of people so mike jones greg penn at linebacker they've added some depth from the transfer portal with colby fields from south carolina west weeks from virginia um harold perkins you know depends where they want to play him but the five-star linebacker that they got he's going to step on campus and i expect him to get snaps as a freshman so um yeah you add all that together and then baskerville's still there like i said i i I think it's a solid linebacker room they are gonna have to prove it to me a bit because mike jones like i said didn't play a ton last year greg penn didn't i mean he was like the third or fourth linebacker last year so there are some changes but I, i think it'll be easier playing behind that defensive line and playing in this system for sure i i uh Curious about, about Wes Weeks. Uh, he's a guy I liked out. Like I, I really thought UVA stole him uh, in, in that he was class of twenty one, I believe, right? Twenty one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Played yeah, one year which, at UVA, which is obviously that year that nobody really got to see people in person mm-hmm. because of COVID and all, all the visits were restricted or or, or banned. Yeah. Um, 
unless you're Arizona State, then they were just wide open. But you know, uh, so oops. Um, I, is he is he somebody they're they're high on? I mean, I know they took him in the portals. So there's got to be some level of, of being high on him. But uh, is he working out already? Yeah, no, he's he's been the second team linebacker uh, pretty much the entire time. He's he's huge, and I saw that on film when I went in and watched UVA. I mean, he's six three. Um, strong so I, I expect him to to get some snaps um in that linebacker room again trying to discern trying to figure out who the linebackers are um behind Penn and jones i think at the moment it's iffy because of baskerville and perkins and kind of unknowns in that regard but i mean i think west week will get we'll get snaps as in that second team linebacker awesome um so they do lose four out of five guys in the secondary who played 400 plus snaps last year and that's not even including stingley uh, but they bring in four transfers. I, I don't know, man. This is why we do this show. I, I'm, I'm deferring to you. I have do not, I do not know what to make of, of, of this unit. Like I think I like it, given the experience of the transfers and who they got. But I don't know if I do. What should I like this unit? Or, or... on paper, on okay. paper right. we should love it. On paper, we on paper it's it's great. Jarek Bernard Converse, uh, all Big 12 first team on one of the best defenses in the country. Makai uh, Makai Garner, UL first team or all Sunbelt team. He's looked really good in spring. Then you got the Arkansas guys, Joe Fusha and uh, Greg Brooks, you know, part of that Arkansas resurgence. Uh, they've been starters throughout spring. And Jay Ward coming back from from uh, last year, the one returner, I thought he's been great during spring. So on paper, you have experience, you have versatility, you have a lot of guys that can cover um, that that are, and they're also kind of, kind of big outside of Fushin and Brooks for the most part. Garner's pretty big. Um, and Bernard's can hold his own with, with some bigger receivers. So I think that's exciting. Now, depth-wise, you don't have a ton of depth ex- at corner specifically. Uh, and I think that's the concern. They brought in seven banks from Ohio State, and that's going to be a big decider in how much depth they play- they have. If he can play, I feel a lot better about the cornerbacks. If we don't know if he's injured or, or if, you know, if he gets back to where he used to be, if he doesn't, then I am a little concerned. But yeah, other than that, you have uh, Sage Ryan, Matthew Langlaw, Major Burns coming back, uh, Todd Harris. You have some talented guys um, at safety and nickel that can back up that they have uh, as depth pieces. But receipt, but corner, you know, it, the depth there is a little shaky. But the starters, I think, on paper should be solid. Last one here. I'll, I'll get you out. We're talking to Matt Bruni of Go Twenty Four Seven. Is it nuts to think this team could finish anywhere from sixth to second in the West? The West, I mean, yeah, you know, the West is always just such a, I mean, outside of Alabama every year, it's always like, you know, who's who's the best team of that year? It's maybe Arkansas, maybe LSU, could be A and um, I think there's a real possibility of them getting to eight eight wins on the season, nine wins on the season. Um, their non-conference schedule is not very difficult outside of, I mean, Florida State is whatever. And then after that, it's pretty pretty easy. Um, I, I think there, there's a shot. I wouldn't bet on them coming in second. I think that might be asking a lot of this team year, year one in, under Brian Kelly, but I think they're going to be competitive in in most of their games. So I, I could see them coming in third or fourth, and I think that'd be a really, that'd be a really solid year, a really good first year for Brian Kelly. No doubt about it. Kind of resetting the floor there and you know, attacking and recruiting. Matt Bernie, Go 24-7. Also, check out the Go 24-7 podcast. Really appreciate the time, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. No doubt. We'll check in again soon. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. 
If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, welcome back into the Cover 3 College Football Podcast. I'm Bud Elliott and this is Summer School. Uh, today we're going to be talking a little Tennessee uh, and you can see my background is different if you're watching us on YouTube at Cover 3 Podcast. That's because uh, our studios are actually booked up here at 24-7 Sports. So I am coming to you literally in the state of Tennessee in the Country Music Television building from the uh, Country Music uh, Sirius XM CMT studio. Uh, so, yeah, if you, if it looks a little different, it sounds a little different. That's why, uh, as opposed to our normal setup. To talk Tennessee today, though, uh, we're going to go and bring on one of the foremost experts, Patrick Brown of Go Balls 24-7. Patrick, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, bud. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to uh, talking to the football today. No doubt about it. Uh, last year, really an, an excellent excellent year for, for Tennessee and new coach Josh Heupel. Uh, I think all the power ratings had them as a you know, legitimate top 20-ish team. Uh, I also have in my notes here that they caught UF when Florida was actually still trying. Uh, <laughs> and so that was a very different team than if you got them you know, way late in the year. What, what's the overall mood there in Knoxville? Um, I think it's hopeful, uh, but but I also think there's a little bit of we've seen you know we've seen this movie before. You know Tennessee is, is run through uh, a handful of coaches over the past decade or so, and, and there's always been this point where uh, they they win enough or they get uh, you know went went some recruiting battles to get people sort of believing and, and buying into the future. Um, and I think we're at that point with, with Tennessee and with Josh Heupel. Obviously, I think they exceeded expectations last season. The offense lived up to. Uh, the billing that that you expect from um, from Josh Heupel with with what he did at UCF, but um, the uh, you know they they go out and, and you know they have a top ten class I think as we're talking right now. Obviously the headliner is uh, Nico Iamaliava, um, the the five star quarterback from from California. That that's obviously gotten a lot of more people on board because coming in from UCF that was a big question with Heupel was can he recruit at this level? Uh, can he recruit well enough to get Tennessee on similar footing with some of the other um, powers in the uh, in the SEC, so uh, I, I think the vibe around the program is is, is hopeful and, and maybe cautiously optimistic. I do think Tennessee fans are realistic that there's a long way to go to, to get to to Georgia and Alabama, who they uh, obviously Tennessee has the the luxury of playing every year. But um, I think there's some some optimism and and inside the program there's a really good vibe. I think the the culture has been uh, was established last season and, and during uh, Heupel's first year, and, and that can be. Uh, one of the big steps that that you can take as a new coach coming in, no doubt about it. Uh, look, you mentioned that offense, and last year, especially if you strip out the games in which they played Joe Milton the, the majority of the snaps, and, and you look just the games that that Hooker played, and you can even if you control for pace, I mean, this was still a legitimate like top ten offense in the whole country. Uh, Hooker was just extremely good at 
maximizing the, the the risk while actually not actually throwing the pick. I mean, I think it was what thirty-one to three touchdown interception ratio. That's I mean, common sense. Hello, very very good. <laughs> uh, and also, he was effective on the ground with with uh, with, with small as well. They they got to be just over the moon with, with his performance last year. And yet, I I'm curious, like where can he improve? Yeah, I think that's a big question that, that we've asked a lot and that, that we've talked to Hendon about and, and uh, from talking to some coaches and talking to Hooker himself during spring ball, you know, he really um, sort of rededicated himself. He almost came in this offseason with a blank slate, acted like you know, last year didn't happen. Um, he's not letting the success get to his head. Um, he obviously flirted with maybe going into the NFL draft uh, after last season, but decided to come back and, and use his extra year. And um, from, from talking to him and talking to uh, people around the program, I think he, he's kicked it up a notch. Obviously, some things that, that they expect him to get better at is just a co- better comfort level in the offense. You know, there's a lot of reads in, in, in this offense to what Josh Heifel does. Uh, a lot of what they do from play to play because they're going so fast is, is based on reads, what the defense is giving me, how many guys are in the box, what kind of coverage am I getting. Uh, all those things are, are – and they put a lot on the quarterback. So the longer you do something, the better um, – Theoretically, you should get at it, and so that's that's what they're sort of they're they're sort of pushing him to, to go that way. Something that they talked about this spring was him being able to maybe manipulate defenses and, and maybe make them think that he's going here with the football and that he's going the other way. Little things like that. I think they have a better grasp now of, of um, how he is as a runner. He obviously is, a, is uh, you know Tennessee fans like to compare him to Josh Dobb. Uh, I don't think he's as as elite a runner as Josh Dobbs was, but he, he's he's up there. He's pretty close and. Um, certainly, you don't want to, you know, get your quarterback beat up too much, especially in the SEC. But uh, something that I don't think they knew just from, you know, seeing him in practice where he's not live, where he can't get hit, seeing that part of his game come out last year, I think Tennessee knows now um, the best way to maybe utilize him and, and how they can, um, y- you know, use him in the run game that that you know as, as an extra number and as a guy that can make defenses pay. Yeah, his explosive run rates aren't, you know, huge, but the like the percentage of first down touchdown converted uh, when he did decide to take off and scramble or, or even in some of the design run stuff uh, was very high. Obviously part of that, uh, I think an offensive line that played better than I thought they would uh, last year. And now, now they return, uh, I think what, six of their top seven. It's four starters back. The only loss is, is Cade Mays, who was uh, picked in the sixth round this past weekend. I mean, that, that should be, I would think an improved unit, even, even with the loss of Mays. Yeah, they uh, they do have one. Obviously, they have got that that tackle spot to uh, to to fill. And, and based on what they did in the spring, they flipped Darnell Wright, the former five star who was at left tackle last season, did a pretty good job. They flipped him back over to right, which is where he started his first two years. And, and they looked at a couple of guys there um, at that left tackle spot. One of them is, is Jeremiah Crawford, who's a, a second year uh, junior college transfer, and the other is, is Gerald Mincy, a transfer from Florida uh, that they recruited at UCF that they 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 feel pretty good about. So. Um, it, it's probably going to be a two-man battle between those two guys. There's another uh, – Dane Davis was a guy who was Cade Mays' backup last season. So um, I, I think that's a comp- that's one of the competitions, for probably the biggest one on offense, that going into uh, the season once once they get to, to camp, that's going to be probably the, the headline one on offense as they try to fill that last uh, last piece. If, if that's the headline one on offense, is replacing Jones and Peyton at receiver the headline two or, or, or 1B? Yeah, it, it's – yeah, I, I would say it, it, it's those two. Those are the big ones. Um, and, and you know, with you know Jones, you know Bayless Jones was was a really good player in the slot. Um, and and Javante Payton was um, his numbers weren't overwhelming, um, but his impact was. He was, uh, I think, all six of his touchdowns came in the first twenty minutes of games. And 
Uh, and Tennessee was ha- had the best first quarter scoring average in the country, and, and I think had the best first quarter scoring differential in the country, if if I'm remembering correctly. So uh, all his all his touchdowns were 35 plus yards, just about two. So he was a big play guy with his speed. Um, but uh, they're sort of reshaping that group. Um, you know, they they you know Jalen Hyatt, I think, is, is poised to take over for Bayless Jones in the slot. Hyatt was a former four star guy, a lot of speed with him. Um, didn't have the year that a lot of people thought he was going to have last season, but He's he's been a guy that that's really rededicated himself this offseason. Came in uh, early January and has just basically lived in the complex. Him and and Hinton Hooker have, have built a pretty good rapport. Both uh, watched a lot of film together, throwing a lot. Sometimes it's just them. Even back when before the team really reconvened for uh, the start of the offseason, but uh, he's put on 20 pounds. He's up to 184. So uh, you know they they think he can play more physical and and be able to hold up better uh, in that part of the game. And at the other spot, you know, they're, they're in a good position, I think with, uh, Brew McCoy, the transfer from USC. Um, I think he would possibly, you know, potentially come in if they do end up pulling, pulling that one out and, uh, probably be the starter across from Cedric Tillman, who obviously, you know, having him back alleviates the, the loss of, 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 uh, Valus and, and Javante. So, um, you know, if they get McCoy, uh, I think he could be a starter. Ramel Keaton and, and some of those other guys that, that are returning had, had pretty good springs from, uh, from what I heard, but, you know, we, we asked Josh Heifel a lot, you know, how does your offense get better? What can you do differently in, in, in year two? And he's always pointed to your personnel being different. And certainly, you know, Bayless Jones and Jalen Hyde are not the same, you know, they're not the same player. Um, and if you go from Peyton to, to say Brew McCoy and, and even Ramel Keaton's more of a, you know, he's, he's a, he's a longer guy, more of a, and doesn't maybe have the breakaway speed that Peyton does, but, you know, those are different pieces that you're going to have to find ways to use in your offense. So, um, but yeah, that, that's, you know, the two big question marks on offense going into the season for Tennessee are, are what they do at, at tackle, which is now left tackle instead of right tackle, which is where Cade May started last season. Also, what they do with those two wide receiver spots. For sure. Uh, let's go ahead and switch to the defense here. Uh, I, I had the defense power rated like top 50-ish, uh, so not a bad defense, uh, but not, you know, a, a real like dominant unit either uh, last year. What what do you see being materially different about this defense? I, I guess the one just that jumps off to me the screen is your top three guys up front from the defensive line, at least by snap count, maybe not by talent, uh, are, are gone. Is that where, where you'd go with that probably? Yeah, I, I think the big questions probably are maybe more – well, there's really three questions with the defense, one at each level. One uh, in the front is how are they going to get after the quarterback? Um, too often last year their pass rush was inconsistent at best. Um, it, it's funny, they average, uh, they set a school record and ranked in the top 10 in tackles for loss last season with, I think, 102. Um, but they, they were middle of the pack in the SEC in sacks. So, uh, a lot of that was, was against the run and maybe even outside on some screens and stuff. But, um, can they get after, after the quarterback? The, the guys you mentioned that are leaving, uh, Matthew Butler was a fifth round pick. He was great for them. Tone setter of leadership. Um, it, it's going to be tough to replace him. They've got some guys that have started, uh, and that have played at that, uh, you know, at, the, at those interior spots. But to me, when I look at the defensive line, it, it, it's all about the edge guys. And these guys need to be able to win. Uh, it's guys like Byron Young, who uh, shared the team lead in, in tackles for loss and sacks. I think he could have a really big year, potentially maybe even double-digit sacks if, if uh, I think he's got that in him. And then Tyler Barron, who was a guy that uh, was another former four-star recruiter under the old staff, that uh, he was kind of hit and miss last year. I don't think he was fully healthy, but um, he had that brief flirtation with the transfer portal back in January, but he's back and, and bought in. I think those are two guys that uh, that it starts with up front. And looking at the rest of the defense, they have to get better at linebacker. I think they have to get better at safety. Um, they haven't really added anybody in, in, in from the portal at, at linebacker. So 
Uh, Jeremy Banks is the top guy there. I think he had 128 tackles. Uh, I, I think he's got a, a really high ceiling, chance to be a really good player. And then uh, sort of the wild card with that group is Juwan Mitchell, who's the transfer they brought in from Texas last year. Uh, they got about three games out of him. His shoulder just wasn't ever right. And so he, he went on the shelf and underwent surgery, I think, in October. There was a question whether he was going to be bought in enough to stay. He has been bought in. Um, he's not, you know, he wasn't fully healthy in the spring, but uh, he's a guy that you can almost look at as a new transfer just because you didn't get any, you know, hardly anything out of him last season. And, and the secondary is probably the most intriguing part because uh, they've added a couple transfers there. Uh, Wesley Walker was a starter at Georgia Tech. Andre Turrentine was uh, a former four-star guy that was just played his freshman year at Ohio State. So, um, but those guys I think are going to join the mix where you're replacing two draft picks, Alante Taylor and Theo Jackson. So. Um, they each have to get better at each level, for sure. Uh, and I think your characterization of, of a defense that's good but not great is is, is accurate. Uh, and the question is, you know, with with, way, with the way that this offense plays, if you're playing defense, you just you're, you're you're expecting every stop you get to be your leading. You know, you have a seven point lead increase on the scoreboard. So um, I, they have to be a defense that uh, make, generates negative plays. Uh, they have to be a defense that generates turnovers. They have to be a defense that that you know, stands up in the red zone and gets stops there. Um, and we'll have to see if, if the personnel that they brought back and developed and the personnel that they brought in, particularly in the secondary, what impact uh, that those guys can have going into the season. For sure. I mean, getting off the field in, you know, the, the, those longer down situations, I, I, I look at my numbers here. They were really, they were really, they were really bad on third yeah. down last year. Yeah. I, I mean, everything is sort of just okay. Decent, good, a little below average. And then, Passing down success rate allowed, hundred and third. Yeah, that, that that was a real struggle, and that goes back to the defensive line. Is, is you have to be able to win when you rush four. You have to have guys yeah. off the edge that can that can win on one on one. You have to have guys that can make plays in, in the back end, and guys that can hold up in coverage to where you don't have to play zone every time, right? Uh, you know, the middle of the field, you know, defending the middle of the field was really a, a, a trouble spot for Tennessee last year. Sort of that quartet with the two linebackers and the two safeties that was an area that teams really went at and, and had a lot of that success on third down. So that's the big one. You know, I look at that defense and even in their close losses, they lost three games by, you know, were one possession games, Ole Miss, Pittsburgh, and, and Purdue. And, and in each of those games, the defense gave the offense the ball back, I think twice in the fourth quarter against Pittsburgh with the chance to tie. I think Ole Miss, they gave it to them three times with a chance to go take the lead and the offense couldn't finish it. Um, and then in the Purdue game, I think, you know, they got – everybody looks back at that game. They gave up like 600-something yards. But there was a stretch in the third quarter that they got three straight stops, maybe an interception or two in there. Uh, and the offense couldn't build on the lead. So um, – but, yeah, I, I think the third down defense is obviously – you ask any of the coaches this spring, that's the first thing out of their mouth. Have to get better on third down. Have to be able to, to win with the, the pass rush of, of, you know, sending just four guys because um, – you know, you need difference makers up front, but I also don't think they have the, the guys in the secondary that they can just go play one-on-one and blitz guys all day. So uh, that's sort of the, the poison that you have to pick if you're Tim Banks and the, and the defensive staff just to, you know, from, from a third-down scenario to a third-down scenario is, is how do you approach sending extra guys to try to get pressure or do you sit back and, and try to play coverage and hope that, that one of your front four guys can get home? It It's going to be fascinating to watch how that evolves. I mean, you almost think if, if you're running a uh, – can you call it like Baylor-esque system? I know it's not exactly <laughs> the same thing, but a lot of the principles as far as tempo and field spacing are, are certainly similar there. And I, I think Heupel and Levy probably you know, swapped notes a time or two when, when they were there at UCF. Um, you know, it almost makes more sense to play a little more aggressively, give up a few more explosives, but get the ball back to your offense even more because 
under the theory that you're more comfortable playing a 15, 16 possession game than the opponent is. And you may not blink like, like they might. Um, I feel like Kentucky gets a lot of love. South Carolina gets a lot of love in the, you know, with the transfer portal work they've done. Uh, but if Georgia faltered a lot, is Tennessee a lot. The, right? I mean, it, like you know, I've, I think I've got them for between like seven and nine regular season wins. Tennessee, not Georgia. Uh, it, Tennessee could sneak up there and and be a division dark. I guess everybody other than Georgia is a dark horse, technically, right? In this division, right. but right. Th- there's no reason if Georgia really faltered a ton that Tennessee couldn't be that team to sneak up there. I guess in the East. Yeah, I mean, it's it, kind of going into last season. You, you even if you were optimistic, you were looking at a handful of games as sort of those, those toss-up games, those those either war games. Those are being the games that that determine whether you go six and six or maybe eight and four. Uh, I think seven to nine wins is is probably right where I am too. Um, uh, you know, I don't think it's realistic to expect them to beat Alabama or Georgia this season. I mean, on any given Saturday, I suppose that could happen, but uh, I don't know that the any given Saturday really applies to those two elites right now, but. Uh, you look at the games with Kentucky, South Carolina. Uh, they play Pittsburgh in, in the second week of the season. That's a toss-up game because um, it's up there. Um, you know, who they have? They play LSU out of the West this year, so they got to go down to Baton Rouge. Which, you know, what are they going to look like under Brian Kelly in his first season? So, there's a lot of those games that are sort of going to be the swing games that are going to be the difference in maybe winning seven games or maybe winning maybe nine and three or even more. So, um, could they be the dark horse? Uh, like you said, I think everybody in the division is a dark horse. Um, I, I do think there are some question marks on the defense. Uh, I wonder if they're going to be good enough to get enough stops to not put too much pressure on the offense to have to score every possession. Um, and, and then, you know, the offense, I think, has to get better in some of those situations because, like I mentioned, in some of those post games, um, you know, in the SEC, that's, 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 what's gonna, that's what your record is going to hinge on is those, those close games, those crunch games, those uh, games where it's a, down to a score in the fourth quarter. You know, can this offense execute well enough when – you know, teams aren't going to be, you know, giving up stuff that's going to let them throw it over the top, right? You're going to have to be able to execute for nine, eight, nine, ten plays uh, to maybe get yourself in, in a position to kick a winning field goal or go score a, a go-ahead touchdown. So um, can they handle those situations better? Um, and can they sort of deliver in those close games? Because there's going to be those games. That's going to be the difference, and, and that's going to be uh, what, what defines, I think, this Tennessee team. Sort of in a way it was last season, but going into last season, you weren't really looking at it that way, right? You were wondering, you know, can they scrape out six wins somewhere based on just the the the, the off season that they had? So, um, I think seven to nine wins is a good um, is a good range. I, the thing I do say, I will say about Tennessee is, is what, other than Alabama, what game are they going into next season thinking, all right, we don't have an, you know, we have the advantage at quarterback, right? I mean, that that's going to be. Yeah. Uh, I think that's something that's big for them, and because um, you know I think Hooker's probably maybe second or third best quarterback in the SEC. I know you know Will Levis is getting a lot of love for some mock drafts early next year, and, and yeah, that's, that's is, projection though, isn't it? I mean, Will Levis was right. 20, 24 touchdowns, thirteen picks. Hooker was thirty-one three. I mean, I'm <laughs> right, right. To me, it's either it's either Hooker or KJ Jefferson, and, and their numbers are very very similar. Um, based on last season, but and similar offenses too, somewhat. Right, and, and you know, same too about Stetson Bennett. I think if you took him and put him in another offense, it would be different. Yeah. If you took other quarterbacks and put them in, with that team, with that defense, with the you know the the, the mindset, you can only you know you really have to, only have to go score twenty one points and you're going to win. So, um, you know, I you know I, I don't know. I think that's a big advantage for for Tennessee going into next season. But 
I do wonder, can they get the, the defensive stops that they need? Um, can they get off the field on those third down situations? And, and in, in the in the moments when the offense has to go win the game, can they go do it? Because there were a couple of times where they came up short in that area. And uh, like we like we said, that those are those those tight games are going to be the difference in seven and five and, and nine and three or even better. No doubt about it. Patrick Brown, bloodied and bruised because his one-year-old head butted him, came on the show <laughs> anyway, really delivered the goods. Everybody needs to, needs to check out Go Lost 24-7. Hey, man, play, playing through it. I, I, and you got the one-year-old playing to the echo of the whistle. Uh, so right, <laughs> Awesome, man. Uh, also, guys, go check out the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. Follow Patrick on, on Twitter. And we'll have to have you back on for a little uh, quickie fall previews as well, Patrick. We really appreciate this. All right, that's the bell. Cover three college football summer school is over for today. But don't worry, we'll be back soon with even more episodes filling you in on the top teams in college football. Please give us those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on YouTube and on Twitter at Cover 3 Podcast, and we'll see you all soon.